This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Pass for Anderson, checking him, Radish. Held in hate, save made by Montembeau, and he holds on. Lightning down 1-0 in the second. Oh, Oh, yeah, he dropped it. I thought they were going to get a whistle instead. The puck is shot into the net. Down the ice, Johansson thought it was a TV timeout. He left the net. And the Canadian shoot it down the net, down the ice into the open net. Well, Kovacevic. that tells you right there. I have never seen that before, ever Phil. Ever in my lifetime. You know, I don't think our game was necessarily great up until that point. And I think, uh, you know, we started to feed off that that energy. And, um, you know, it does make a difference, uh, home ice, for sure, when, the, when, like I said, when the building's rocking. And, um, but, you know, we did, a, we did a great job to, you know, stay the course and not change our game. And, um, you know, it was nice to get the two points. I thought the uh, whistle was blown, music was playing and all, but... Uh... Yeah, that's a first, I think, for everyone. But, I mean, at the end, I felt like it gave us some energy. The arena was buzzing, and it gave us some energy, and we came back and won the game, so that's the, that's the biggest thing. Our game did change, but it was two big things I thought that changed after that. Uh, one, the crowd was unbelievable, and how I, the, the crowd made us grow a foot on the bench. And so I can't thank them enough for how they supported our team, which was kind of helped after that was when Mott, Watson, and Janot went out there and basically were trying to annihilate everything in their in their way. And I think then that doubled down the energy the crowd was gave us. And um, after that, I thought we were a completely different team. Yeah, completely different team. Boy, that's, I think, a theme for 2024. People want to completely different lightning team in terms of their play and being consistent. Will that happen? I don't know. I guess we'll start to find out tonight. Lightning taking on the Jets. Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is our producer at Bolts Radio on Twitter. It is 2024. Hope everybody had a great new year. Can you believe, partner, the new year is upon us? And I wonder if the players can look at it and say, all right, 2023 is behind us. Let's have a little bit of a clean slate here mentally, and let's get rocking and rolling for 2024. Well, look, it starts with a, a very stiff challenge. Uh, I mean, we got a lot to unpack today, Greg. We had the two games over the weekend. Happy New Year, by the way, my friend. You too. Steve Ersnick's a very happy man, too, because he is going to Houston next week to see Michigan, his home state, and his home college team, I guess, play for a national championship. So he had a very good New Year's Day. But the Lightning start this road trip against, if it's not the best defensive team in the NHL, it's certainly one of the best defensive teams in the NHL, and I have the numbers to back it up, talking about Winnipeg. I don't think that there's any debate, though, that they are the best defensive five-on-five team in the NHL, and I have the numbers to back that up, too. But maybe we should start with the weekend, Because on our last show on Friday, we were looking ahead to the weekend. And what we were talking about, Greg, was it was an opportunity for the Lightning to finish the six-game stretch heading into January, five of those games at home, an opportunity for the Lightning to really make some hay. And they started the stretch very well, winning the first three. But then they lost to Florida, their first game after Christmas. So what would happen in the two games over the weekend? And it was a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag in terms of the results. They went one and one. It was a mixed bag in terms of their play. 
They did not play very well against the Rangers, and they did not play very well up until that bizarre goal against Montreal. But after that goal, things did switch for the Lightning, and they played quite well, going to this theme of inconsistency. So we head into 2024, and the Lightning are kind of where they have been, which is to say they're not as far up in the standings as they want to be or need to be, but they're not really out of it either. They are one strong stretch away from putting themselves in an excellent position. And we have seen teams do this. I'm thinking about teams in the West, really, Greg. But, like, I I haven't really followed Seattle that closely after the Lightning. They finished with Seattle. They beat Seattle in Seattle in overtime in kind of early to mid-December. And after that game, I kind of lost track of Seattle, right? Well, Seattle's on a long winning streak and a long point streak, and all of a sudden they put themselves in a very good spot. They were in a terrible spot before they went on their streak. So it can be done, and it can be done in a fairly short period of time. If you go on a streak and a stretch of seven, eight, nine games where you're racking up points, you can change your standings position drastically. It just hasn't happened yet for the Lightning. But if it happens, they will be in a much better spot than even Seattle or Edmonton that went on a long streak earlier in the year to kind of pull themselves up into the middle. Lightning are in the middle. So they want to be higher than in the middle. But the fact that they're in the middle with more than half a season to go means that there is, a, there is an opening here for them if they can string together a really good stretch to gain some separation from the teams that are around them and behind them. So, I don't know. Do you want to start with the games over the weekend and, and get into those? Do you want to look at tonight's game? I'll... I'll leave it to you how you want to start Yeah, no, we can show. we can certainly talk about the last two if you want to kind of combine them a little bit as we look ahead to 2024 and focus on what the Lightning need to do moving forward. I know what Phil Meyer was recalled today. So, you know, I think that's – we'll get into some ins and outs here as well with the roster potentially. Yeah, could look and like. I think there – I think there's some lineup questions with the Lightning, and, and we are an hour behind you. So the Jets are, I mean, I'm at the same time as you. But in terms of what is reading on the clock, we are an hour behind in the central time zone. So the Jets are wrapping up their skate, and we'll get an idea of what the Lightning are looking like as far as available players when they come out for their skate in about 20 to 25 minutes. For sure. And, you know, I think... A lot of people have asked those questions about, hey, what do they need to do? Do they need to make a move? Does Julian need to do something to jumpstart this team? And I, I think all of that is is fair game. I think I've heard more people start to have those conversations about what is this team and what's it going to look like? And maybe it's not as strong as previous years. And maybe Julian has to do something from that perspective. I, I think it's all healthy to have those conversations to bring up in terms of what the Lightning could do and couldn't do. But look, the the games over the weekend, the Rangers and Canadians, I don't know if it's been kind of like a, a microcosm partner of what the season was. I, I felt like that game against the Rangers, really the, the turnovers came back to haunt the Lightning more so than, I don't want to say any other game this year, that, that shouldn't be true, but it it was magnified even more maybe because it was the opponent and it just illustrates where the lightning are at times and what the season has been like in terms of goals allowed that when you have some bad turnovers, the team 
uh, will make you pay on most occasions. The Rangers certainly did. Shesterkin was also very good in that game. But I think all things considered, that was a game where you looked at and said, you know, there were just some turnovers there that, that should have bothered the Lightning. I, I'm sure it did. And are those things controllable? Yeah, I, I think they are in those particular instances, whether it's losing an edge, whether it's a bad pass up the neutral zone that gets intercepted and goes back the other way. I think the Lightning can control some of those those miscues, but it didn't happen against that game uh, against the Rangers where Trocek had a four-point night and Panarin had a yeah. hat trick. Yeah, so the Lightning had a huge edge in the possession metric in that game. But I think that circumstances and score effects had a role in why that was the case. So the Rangers were playing the second half of a back-to-back. The Lightning weren't. And what we've said when the Lightning are in this situation, and the Lightning have not done very well, frankly, in the second half of back-to-backs this year. Now they have two wins because they just beat the Canadians on Sunday. In fact, both of their wins have come against Montreal. They played Montreal twice this year, and both times they were completing the second half of a back-to-back. The game on Sunday, so were the Canadians. So they were kind of on equal footing. But generally, what you want to have happen, when, especially when you are the road team and you are facing a rested team that is playing at home, you want to try and get the lead so you are not having a chase and the other team is. And the Rangers check that box. You want to get Solid to great goaltending. Shesterkin gave the Rangers that. Check that box. You want to defend at least at a, at a good level, if not better than that, to make life hard on the other team that's trying to catch up. I think the Rangers did that. And then lastly, you want to be the team that makes the big plays. When there is a big play to be made, you want to be the team that makes that play as opposed to the other team. And we can look from beginning to end in that Ranger game, virtually all of the big plays that were made went to the New York side of the ledger. Scoring early, converting on the two-on-one, the goalie interference call that took AC Mont's goal off the board. We can get into that in case fans have any questions as to why that goal was overturned. And I don't have a very good answer for you, frankly, and, and I've been on this show on the record, saying I have a pretty good handle, I think, on what is goalie interference and what isn't. I thought, I thought they got the call wrong. In that they overturned it. I, I thought that should have been a goal. Be that as it may, the Rangers got that call. That's a big play that went on the Rangers' side of the ledger. And then maybe the biggest play of the game was the Kreider goal, which came less than a minute after Kucherov had scored to to cut the Rangers' lead to two to one. So you factor all of that into kind of how this game unfolded, you see that the Rangers got the lead. They were content to D up. They leaned on Chesterkin. They made big plays. The Lightning were forced to chase from beginning to end. That's the formula. That's the formula to win when you're playing the second half of a back-to-back on the road against a rested opponent. And the Rangers are now 6-0. and in the second games of back-to-backs. Now, I don't know if they all have followed the same script. The Rangers, as we have mentioned, you know, they get some games at home 
because they have shorter travel than a lot of other teams. Uh, they might play the first game on the road, second game at home. And the goaltending sometimes is a little different, right, for them? The goaltending is different. Quick sometimes plays the second game, and not always. Like, Shesterkin doesn't always play the first game, and that was the case this past weekend. Quick played in Sunrise, and Shesterkin played the second game against the Lightning. So what the Lightning wanted to try and do in that game, you want to make sure that you're limiting costly mistakes, certainly. But if you can, like, force the Rangers to chase. Force them to expend more energy to try and get back in the game. Instead, the shoe was on the other foot. And I know you can't control who makes big plays and who doesn't, but and there's a reason why the Rangers are, are one of the top teams in the standings this year. They've done this regularly and consistently. They've not been a great five-on-five team this year. I think after their win against the Lightning, they are dead even in terms of five-on-five goals scored and five-on-five goals allowed, but they were plus three against the Lightning because each team scored a power play goal, and the Rangers scored three even-strength goals. So it's not like the Rangers are some unstoppable force, but they're going to make you work to beat them. And the Lightning didn't do enough to make life difficult on the Rangers, and the Rangers did to the Lightning. Shesterkin was really good in that game. So to the extent the Lightning had some scoring chances, and when you dominate possession as much as the Lightning did, and the Rangers, I thought, deed up pretty well, they did get some looks. Some were good. Some were a little better than good. Think about Nick Paul's breakaway in the third period. Shesterkin just gets a a piece of that with the paddle of his stick enough to deflect it off the post. So you might say bad luck for Nick Paul, but if Shesterkin doesn't get a piece of it, it's in the net, right? Like he did get a piece of it, so it didn't go in the net. And and when the Lightning had those really good scoring chances, Shesterkin shut the door except on the one play where Kucherov scored, and Vasilevsky didn't. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Like I think most people were in agreement that the Panarin goal to make it 4-1 in the third was one Vasilevsky should have stopped. The others, I'm not sure he should have stopped, but Shesterkin stopped the equivalent chances the Lightning had, and Vasilevsky was unable to do it for the Lightning when the Rangers got their really dangerous looks. So that's what we had on Saturday. It was a disappointing game. It was a disappointing result. It was a game in which, you know, the Lightning, again, left some points on the table. I'm not saying they deserve to win the game, but this was a game in that stretch where they had a chance to really consolidate their advantage in the schedule, and they did have a circumstantial advantage coming into that game. They were at home. They were rested. They hadn't played since Wednesday. The Rangers had, and they let that opportunity slip through their fingers. They did, and you know that first game you mentioned the Rangers. Uh, that was also a game where Vassy uh, was it three short side goals had given up. I, I think that was one of the things some people took from that game, particularly Chief, and that was something of, of no. Kreider Kreider's goal was short side, though. I mean that's a that's a really well executed play by the Rangers. It was, and the fact that it led to that type of break was was interesting because who made the pass over to him? Was that Wheeler? Wheeler. Well, no, no. Trocek made the pass across. Trocek. Wheeler made the first pass, though, setting the two-on-one in motion. Well, yeah, because I, I feel like it was Trocek who caught the puck in midair, right? It was it was a weird like pinch by the Lightning, a, a bad yeah. pinch, obviously that led to the two-on-one, and 
Look, Kreider's a, a guy who has scored a lot of goals in this league, so I understand that he can finish. Are we used to Vasi potentially coming up and making a save like that in years past? Probably, but I'm not going to nitpick too much on that specific goal. It was more of just in general some of the goals that were allowed. You mentioned the goal that was disallowed by... Uh, the officials, when it came to the AC Mont goal, didn't, mm -hmm. didn't understand. I think a lot of people, you know... Do you want to get into that? Yeah, I mean, then we can move on to For the sure. Sunday game, which which For certainly sure. had a lot happening on Sunday go as ahead. well. Touch on it. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind and tell you my understanding of the goalie interference rule. If there is contact on the goalie in the crease by an attacking player, intentional or not, and the puck goes in, it's going to be no goal. The only exception is if a defending player, in other words, a teammate of the goalies, <laughs> pushes the attacking goaler, goalie into the paint or into the goalie, then that rule is, it's like an override <laughs> of that rule and the goal is allowed to stand because the attacking player is not the one who really initiated the contact. It was the, the defender who forced the contact, okay? That's pretty cut and dried. When there is contact outside the crease, it becomes a little bit more gray. And actually, there was a play that happened over the weekend as well. I think on Sunday, actually, Detroit and Boston played. And there was a goal that was scored by Detroit. Boston challenged for goalie interference and lost the challenge. And the reason they lost the challenge, there was contact on Swayman, but the official said it happened outside the crease. And so, again, once it's outside the crease, there are other factors that come into play, like who would establish position first? Is the goalie moving into an area where there is an attacking player? The attacking player, if it's outside the blue paint, has a right to that space. So if there's contact on the goalie and the attacking player's established position, that's... That's not on the attacking player. So even if the goalie is impeded in his ability to make the save, the goal is going to stand. But the officials kind of have to look at how the play unfolded. In the blue paint, it's way more cut and dried. Okay? So the reason the league gave as to why the AC Mont goal was disallowed was they essentially said, and this is the rule, part of the rule that they cited, Janot initiated contact on Shesterkin in the blue paint. Therefore, Shesterkin was unable to play his position. I'm inserting their names into the actual rule. <laughs> okay. I think that that is the wrong interpretation of that play. If Shesterkin had been in the blue paint and Janot had entered the blue paint and initiated contact, then yes. But neither one of those things happened. Janot is, is, is basically hook. They called a hooking minor in Zabanajad. Zabanajad is the reason Janot is in the blue paint in the first place. A. B. Shesterkin takes himself out of the crease. He's a good five feet outside the crease. He's trying to get back into the crease. Janot is in the crease. Shesterkin initiates contact, not Janot. The rule they cited does not apply to the actual play that occurred. So, A, you have the Lightning player in the crease because he was, quote-unquote, pushed. B, the contact happens in the crease, but it's not as if the goalie was in the crease the whole time. The goalie takes himself out of the crease. 
he chooses to leave the crease. And then he's scrambling to get back into the crease. I think that that is a different circumstance. And this is the kicker to me, Greg. I think if Janot is five feet outside the crease and Shesterkin tries to get back, he's not getting there. He's not getting to where he needs to get because, first of all, he has a long way to go. But second of all, Zibanejad is in the way. Zibanejad prevents Shesterkin from getting to the post to stop the shot from Asimov. I think that goal is scored whether Janot is in the crease or not. So to me, I understand there was contact, quote-unquote contact in the blue paint, but this is a way different category than what I tried to explain a couple of minutes ago. But the officials saw it differently, or Toronto saw it differently. So look, it was a call that went the Rangers' way. Would we have had a different outcome in the game? I think that that's very hard to say. It would have made it 2-1 to much earlier then when the Lightning made it 2-1, to one, we can't go back and rewrite history and know exactly what would happen. But I feel badly for AC Mont. This is twice now he's scored a goal that's been taken away. Happened in Denver with his dad in the building on an offside challenge that was razor thin. And this one that I didn't think should have been overturned. But as they say, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So the Lightning had a tough call go against them. Yeah. And ultimately, as, as we have said many times... It was one play in the game. It didn't define the entire game. They had 59 minutes and change outside of that one play to positively affect the outcome. They weren't able to do it. But speaking personally, I was, I understood. I thought there was a chance they might take the goal away just because Juno was in the crease. Right. But given the circumstances, I was surprised. And frankly, I thought the play in which the, the Red Wings scored, and that goal was allowed. I thought that that should have been taken away, too, because I really felt that the Detroit player, he kind of put his stick on Swayman's arm, the catching glove arm. So Swayman couldn't get the, the arm in a place to make the save. That tangibly affected, in this case, Swayman, but the goalie's ability to play his position. I don't care that it happened outside the crease. It's not like... It was Rasmussen, the Detroit player. It's not like Rasmussen had had established position and there was contact there. Rasmussen initiates the contact because he, he's putting a stick on the arm. I don't think he did it intentionally, but nonetheless, I thought that goal should have been disallowed, and it wasn't. So, look, outside the crease becomes more of a judgment call, but I, I think the outside inside the crease affected the call in the Detroit-Boston game more than it should have. I think the simple question is, was the goalie prevented from playing his position? Yes. Therefore, it should have been no goal. In the Lightning Ranger game, was Shesterkin prevented from playing his position? No. He wasn't prevented by Janot. Shesterkin decides to skate outside the crease and then gets himself caught in no man's land and can't get back into, into the right spot to play the position, not because of Janot, but because of Shesterkin taking himself outside the crease and Zibanejad being in the way. That's and how I, actually, I saw that play. I actually thought that might have been a, a star getting a call, too. You know, let's call that for what it is. You know, Shesterkin was complaining immediately after that goal scored. Not that that always sways yeah. the officials. But, partner, we've talked about It was about ruled this a goal on the ice, though. Yeah. Uh, but and they called a penalty on Zibanejad, too. which didn't make a lot of sense. But I, I mean, it, yeah. I, I think that some of that can be taken into 
consideration. That being said, the Lightning's back end, I thought at times, had a rough outing. Hedman didn't have his best game. I Correct. thought he bounced back. He did bounce game. back. And, and that's, what, that's what was positive. Sherry got injured uh, that game also as well for, uh, for the Lightning in the Rangers game. The Lightning then had to bounce back, taking on Montreal, who, let's face it, Montreal... You get what you see. They're a hardworking team. That yeah. They're going to forecheck. They're going to try and create chances. And I think we they saw that. They have a that. few high-end players, but Just not mostly they're a, they're a meat and potatoes type of team. And the game was going exactly the way Montreal wanted through the first. It was funny that the goal was scored by Kovacevic at 11.59 on New Year's Eve. How about that, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed that after I wrote down the goal. 11.59 and then things changed right after that for the Lightning. So the Lightning were flat as a pancake in the first, whatever, 31 minutes and 59 seconds. They didn't have much going for them. Glendening tried to spark them when he fought Josh Anderson. Yeah. After the big hit and, on and Chernak. the big hit on Chernak, and look, I think they got the call right. Phil agreed on, on Anderson. I'm not saying they got the call right on on the Kovacevic goal, or at least I'm going to get into that that play. But earlier in the second period, there's a big open ice hit, Anderson on Chernak. Chernak ends up getting hurt and can't finish the game. And then shortly thereafter, Hayden Flurry. He also took a hit from Anderson, but people are saying that he blocked a shot. And Coop afterwards said it's going to be a while. So, I mean, if so, this will be the third Lightning player who has hurt himself blocking a shot, basically with his hand or his wrist. Happened to Mott on opening night. Happened to Connor Sherry in another game against Montreal. And then it happened to Hayden Flurry. So the Lightning for basically the second half of the game were down to 4 D. Those are damn block shots, partner. Yep, I know. Hits you in the wrong spot. So the Anderson hit, it was a big hit. And they called a minor penalty, but they reviewed it, and they felt it didn't rise to the level of a major, and I don't have any problem with that. I, I don't think that it did rise to the level of a major. But they lose Glenn Denning for 17 minutes because he gets the instigation minor. So the Kovacevic goal. When a goalie makes a save and there is no attacking player coming close to him, often the official will, will not blow his whistle. You know, like, hey. You need to play the puck. He's all actually urging the goalie to keep play going. There's no reason for a whistle if there's no attacking player close. So the referee in this instance, Kelly Sutherland, is standing in the corner like the goal line extended from Montempo. So the shot is taken by Radish. Steve played the clip at the top of the show. Montempo makes the save. He holds on to it for a couple of beats. I mean, I didn't think that he held on to it for like five or six seconds. I think if you go back and look, he had it. And he's kind of looking around, and no Lightning player skates close to him. That's on the Lightning. The Lightning bears some responsibility here, more than a little responsibility. So Sutherland brings the whistle to his lips but never blows it. So what happens? There are five Lightning players on the ice, and in the second period, your bench is close to your offensive zone. So the three players kind of on that side of the ice start skating to the bench, Point is kind of on the other side of the ice. I wouldn't say near the net, but nearer the net. And Dahan is kind of back in the neutral zone on the other side of the ice. Dahan starts talking to the other referee. Like they're having a conversation. And the two linesmen skate in to grab the puck to, to get ready for a faceoff. But Sutherland is, is not blowing the whistle. So the whistle never blows. So Montembeau drops the puck down. Kovacevic gets it, takes a couple of strides forward, 
And at this point, Johansson thinks it's a stoppage. I said TV timeout on the clip. We had actually already taken the TV timeout, but it was a whistle. So the music in the building starts playing. Johansson skates to the corner. The net is open. Kovacevic shoots it, whatever, 160, 170 feet down the ice right into the net. The goal is allowed to stand. So why did the goal count? And why did Sutherland go to the headsets? Apparently he went to the headsets to let Toronto know, I never blew my whistle. This was a live puck. The goal stands. Okay. He didn't blow his whistle. The Lightning should have been more aware, particularly the five players that were in the offensive zone when the puck was stopped, that there had not been a whistle. I want to I just get into a point here about Johansson. I've, I've talked to a few people since that play, and I've asked the question, honestly, is it reasonable to expect that Jonas Johansson standing, what would you say, maybe 100 feet away from Sutherland can hear a whistle? If Sutherland blows his whistle where he is on the ice, can can the goalie at the other end of the ice, whether it's Jonas Johansson or anyone, can that goalie actually hear the whistle? I don't know if that goalie can hear the whistle. The goalie is reacting to what's happening around him. And so Johansson sees that his teammates have stopped playing. He hears the music playing. Naturally, he thinks it's a stoppage. John Cooper said often, from the bench, you can't hear the whistle. But the players on the ice should have been able to hear the whistle and should have been able to notice that there was no whistle and also should have recognized that once the save was made, somebody needed to get close to the goalie to force the whistle. Here is what I will say, not so much in defense of the Lightning, but why the fans had every right to boo Kelly Sutherland. I think in that instance, Sutherland could have done a better job of letting everyone on the ice know that the play was not dead. He could have yelled, play on, play on, play on, no whistle, no whistle. Like, I mean, sometimes you hear officials do that, like on a delayed offside, for example. Like, if there's still an attacking player in the zone, they'll yell, you know, tag up, tag up. Uh, like, they will, they will give some instructions to the players on the ice. On the replay, if you watch the replay, Sutherland gives a little, like, swirly motion with his right hand by his hip. Well, he's standing in the corner. His right hand is 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 on the corner side. The only people that can see him make that motion basically are Montebo and Kovacevic. So I think in retrospect, Sutherland could have and probably should have done a better job of communicating to everybody on the ice. Instead, his communication that the play was live was essentially only to the Montreal side. And, and he could have done a better job in that regard. But ultimately, the Lightning bear responsibility because you have to know if a puck is shot, goalie makes a save, it's not an automatic whistle. You know what that Somebody needs of? to get close to that goalie to force the whistle. It's just the way. And, and they didn't. Now, I because I, I remember I was talking about this with Eric Erlinson when it was going on. And I said, you know, in, in some ways this is the onus on the, the lightning about you got to play to the whistle. If you don't hear a whistle, you got to keep playing. Now he yes. was like, the music came on so fast in game that nobody heard it. Now, if you want to use that as an excuse, certainly you can. I still think you probably, ultimately this comes down to the lightning. Wouldn't that opinion. be even more of a reason though, if the music is coming on for Sutherland to, to bark out instructions though? Yeah. I, I'd like, we can blame a lot of people for sure. You know, the officials for not blowing the whistle. We can blame maybe the, uh, the music coming on right away yeah. for uh, taking out the noise so the players couldn't hear. I, I, that's all valid. 
ultimately, though, I'm, I'm uh, somebody, and I think you are as well, it, it falls with me. I've got to be the one that's accountable for all of my actions. I agree with you. And I think the Lightning, whether they didn't pressure Montebo into covering up the puck to get the whistle, or Johansson, who for whatever reason, just didn't happen to gauge over and see what was happening. I mean, even when somebody, even if you thought the play was done because of a whistle, Dave, how many times do we see somebody get ticked off if another team shoots down at the other end? When when period expires mm -hmm. or there's a, a call and somebody still shoots it down potentially on on net where the other team now has a problem with it and a scuffle ensues. The fact that somebody shot that puck when you thought the whistle had blown, to me, would have spurned a reaction that said, whoa, wait a minute, what is this? That thing's not going in our net. And then you have words with the team that shot the puck after the, the whistle was blown. In this so instance, though, by the time Kovacevic shot the puck, I think everyone recognized that, that the play was still live. I think the Lightning realized too late. Probably. I mean, so they didn't have an issue with the Montreal player shooting the puck at the open net. He was given the green light to do that. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think if we were to assign blame, the majority of the blame, and maybe you would even say the overwhelming majority of the blame, falls on the Lightning players. But I'm actually going to excuse, to some extent, Johansson. Just You're because I don't. Him. Well, I don't know if Johansson should be expected to hear a whistle. Standing where Sutherland it's, was. It's more of just looking down at the other end of the ice. No. Well, okay, fair enough. So I think I'm not excusing him entirely, but no, no, I, I think he, he bears the least amount of responsibility of the six lighting players I, on I the ice. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I, I'm not going to dispute that from that perspective. But it was just bizarre. And the funny thing is, you talk to everybody who follows hockey. Yeah, nobody had ever seen that Nobody before. had ever seen that, which <laughs> is the beauty of live sports. Yeah. It's not scripted. I've never seen that before. Well, look, I think a couple of things are going to come out of this. First of all, the Lightning are going to make sure that when a goalie makes a save, they're going to get to that crease to force a whistle. Second of all, Jonas Johansson is going to make sure that play is stopped before he leaves his crease, and maybe Vasilevsky too, and other goalies around the league. But I would not be surprised if there is some sort of directive that we're never going to hear about from the league to the officials to say that in this situation, you need to communicate more and better but ultimately the fact that play was allowed to stand did help the lightning there's no question because in the last 29 minutes they were the better team it woke them up they played with they played with the emotion that was missing in the first half of the game and they outplayed the canadians in the second half of the game and and coop talked about karma like the watson goal so montembo Got a little bit of a break in that he was allowed to keep playing the puck. And he and Kovacevic knew something that, that no Lightning player did. But then Montebo gave that goal right back when, when Watson's centering feed skipped through his pads. So 2-2 two -two going into the third. The Lightning had a great third period. They dictated play. They generated chances. Nice to see DeHaan score. They did it with four defensemen. As I mentioned, so even though they were playing the second half of a back-to-back, as was Montreal, but Montreal had six defensemen. Actually, seven defensemen. They dressed seven defensemen in that game. Lightning were down to four. It was Hedman Purvix. It was Radish Dahan. Every other shift, one pair or the other was going out there. And 
and they delivered a really good third period. They got unlucky on the Suzuki goal. A shot block comes right to him, and he threads it between Johansson and the post. But in the last half of that game, the Lightning earned the two points that they ended up getting. So now they head to Winnipeg, and the Lightning are on the ice right now. Connor Sherry is on the ice, which is nice. very good news. Good. But Mikhail Sergachev is not. Like, he came on the ice, and then he left immediately. So I think that that is... Not a good sign. Yeah, Magic 8-Ball, we're shaking it, you know... Odds are odds are low. <laughs> whatever whatever the message would be about Sergachev, I don't think based on what I just saw that he's going to play tonight. So that means that the Lightning did recall Phil Myers, but they sent down Sean Day. No Chernak, no Flurry out on the ice. The Lightning only have 5D out on the ice. So what that says to me, Greg, and this is a full skate. Lightning didn't practice yesterday. We may see a lineup tonight if Sherry is able to go. Lightning are going to have a lineup of 13 forwards and five defensemen, <laughs> which is very unusual. What do you make of but, that? Well, it's not unheard of. Now, the Lightning had a game in L.A. a couple of years ago due to COVID and, and some of the rules restricting who you could play around COVID. You remember that game? Cap related? I do remember. Is this Yeah, I think it was, might have been a little cap related. I don't remember all of the circumstances to why this was the case, but they had to play the whole game with four defensemen. I remember it was McDonough and Hedman. And foot, the other righty D, it might have been Chernak. I, I don't remember who it was, but they actually won that game. Yeah. And so, like, there is something. I was talking to Brian Engblom about this, who played the position. Like, you're in the game. When you're one of 4D, you're coming out there. You know when you finish a shift, you're going right back out there. Like, there's no question you were in the game, right? So with 5D, it's not quite the same as 4D. But you know you're playing. How much is Myers going to play tonight? But he's going to play at least 9, 10 minutes. Yeah. Maybe. And then how are they going to work the forwards with 13 forwards? It's not like when the Lightning had Brian Boyle a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago, where he was a forward. And and he did this more when there was an injury in-game, and and Coop would put him back in defense because that was the position he played earlier in his career, and he was actually – he had some experience playing the position. But it's very difficult. It's it's more likely to see a defenseman move up and play forward, even though that's not comfortable, than so a why, forward go back and play D. So my you, expectation tonight against yeah. one of the best defensive teams in the NHL is the Lightning are going to have a lineup of 13 forwards and five defensemen. I'm curious. Now, do you think that's cap-related too? Well, maybe it is from the standpoint that they can't call up another defenseman. Maybe I mean. because neither Fleury nor Chernak are going on long-term injury. My question is, and this is just to play devil's advocate, I'm talking out loud. What's the benefit of playing 13 forwards? Well, you have 18 skaters. I mean, you're saying well, they you, should play 12 and 5? You do have 18, but I mean, you, you're not messing with your lines, correct? If you have 12 well, yeah, that's well, a question. Forwards. How are they going to work the lines? I'm not certain. That's what I mean. Like, you have certain. a spare forward. Okay. So yeah. Like, Connor Sherry's in the lineup, so maybe that's why you've got – I mean, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense outside of you just have an extra body potentially to play with. So, I mean, could Glenn Denning go back there on the back end if, if something really – I don't think really they're going to do that. I don't think that's either. So, to me, it's it's more of just do you have an extra body out there and maybe you're giving Sherry – Well, there may up. be one guy who only plays four or five minutes. I mean, we've well, seen that fine. before with forwards. The other thing I'll mention is they ran the lines. We saw this after the Kovacevic goal. Who was the spare? Well, it wasn't that. It was yeah. that Point and Kucherov were separated. 
Gotcha. Remember, Point scored the Lightning's first goal. He was out on a night on yeah. a shift with Paul and Hagel. They are a line. They were a line to finish that game. They are a line at the morning skate. And then yeah. Kucherov is skating with Stamkos and Sorelli. So there's your top six. And then Sherry was with Bari Boulay, AC Mont, and Mott, I believe, if I'm remembering right. So they had four forwards on the third line. Yeah. But the top six is interesting in that – remember there was a game of the early part of the year when it looked like Cooch and Point were going to be on separate lines? And yes. I think Watson got into a fight early and, and had to miss – a bit of time because he was serving his major. Yeah. And they put Point and Cooch back together. But this looks like, because the Lightning did some good things with those guys on separate lines the second half of Sunday's game. So they're going to start this game with those guys on separate lines. And then you had Glenn Denning, Watson, and Janot as the quote-unquote fourth line. And they played together. They played together in the Montreal game. So we'll see. I mean, we can talk about it tomorrow after the game. Like, how do they work the 13th forward in? Have you seen Did that? Point and Cooch stay on separate lines the whole game? If they no. did, that means the Lightning probably had a pretty good game, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, you typically see the extra defenseman. I can't remember seeing an extra forward like that. Yeah, I don't remember ever seeing a team start a game with 13 forwards and five defensemen voluntarily. Yeah, I, that, that's what I mean. It's it's just a little bizarre. Usually if you have cap issues, that means you have to play a man short. We've seen that before. So you're correct. playing 17. So maybe you have 12 and 5. That is correct. That is correct. Interesting. And the Lightning just don't have a guy like a Brian Boyle. No. Who is a forward who has some experience playing D. But we'll see. Well, and listen, Victor Hedman can play a lot of minutes, so he, yeah. he may look at this and thrive. And honestly, the, the five defensemen who are going to be in the lineup tonight, you should mentally prepare that you're going to be playing, and that should get you into the game right? quicker. It should. A lot of questions starting to roll in here. Yeah, let me just quickly get to Winnipeg, and then we'll spend the rest of the show on questions because the Jets are like, if I could, if I could build a template for how the Lightning season had gone <laughs> defensively, I would look at Winnipeg. And clearly the Lightning have not had this sort of season because I have been beating a dead horse about their goals against. And the John Cooper metric of hold the other team to under three, you greatly increase the chance of winning the game or getting points. Once it becomes three, the outcome hangs in the balance, and more than three, you're you're going to really have to outscore your problems. The Winnipeg Jets enter this game having held the other team to three or less, not two or less, but three or less, in 25 straight games. In their last 13 games, and they just finished a month of December, in which they played those 13 games, they went 10-1-2 and two in December. In their last 13 games, they held the other team to two or less in 12 the one game in which they allowed three, they lost in overtime to Montreal. So they actually held the Canadians to two goals through 60 minutes. Canadians got the third goal on a power play in overtime. That is defending. That is defending consistently. That is outstanding defensive work five on five because their penalty kill has been a little bit of a, a weak spot this year, 75%. 
With a 75% effectiveness on their PK, they are still the second-best defensive team in the NHL. Now, they've offset their penalty kill percentage issue, if you want to call it that, by the, not taking a lot of penalties. They, they, have, they have a number that is among, like, the lowest of time short in the NHL this year. So the percentage is not great, but they've been able to avoid taking a lot of penalties this year to help offset that. And their five-on-five play has been the best in the NHL this year. They lead the NHL in goals for goals against ratio five-on-five. They lead the NHL in fewest five-on-five goals allowed. Actually, offensively, for all we've talked about, the Lightning need a little bit more five-on-five. The two teams are are close. Winnipeg has a few more goals, and they played fewer games than the Lightning. Yeah. But they're in the ballpark for five-on-five goals for. It's a good team. Backing up what I have been saying, I think the Lightning have scored enough this year to be better than where they are in the standings. The problem has been defense. Now, I'm comparing them to the gold standard this year in the NHL through almost the first half of the season. But when you enter a game against the Winnipeg Jets, you have to expect that you are probably going to have a hard time scoring three goals. What happened in the game in Tampa? The Jets jumped out to a 2-0 lead. The Lightning really outplayed them for – the rest of the game, but it was 2-2, went to overtime, and, and the Jets scored. So the Lightning got a point. I thought that was actually a pretty good game by the Lightning. I thought they defended pretty well. They matched what Winnipeg has done defensively. But, like, the Jets are without Kyle Connor. I was just saying arguably out, right? their best, Arguably their best offensive player. He's been yeah. out since mid-December. It has not slowed them down one iota. Why? No. They are keeping the puck out of their own net. And they're getting pretty good goaltending as well on top of that. That's, I mean, Hellebuck that's part is of still, it, yes. Hellebuck, I mean, you got to go through His numbers wall, are, right? are very good. But yeah. it's not like he's he's rocking a 930 save percentage no, either. Not. Like, he's, he's a not. 919, which is very yeah. good. Very good. He's among the league leaders in goals against and save percentage, but his team is helping him out, too. It just goes to show you, if you defend and then you have that guy on the back end as the last line of defense, you're going to do pretty well yes, defensively, which is which is one of the things we've always talked about with the Lightning. Defend well, and just how much uh, more of an impact is Vasi going to make? And you know what? Maybe, maybe with 5D, it's going to hone the Lightning's focus. The opponent and their lineup will hone their focus on, we need to protect our net. Not rope-a-dope, but we need to be mindful of not giving up freebies make the jets work for everything that they can get yeah this is going to be a challenging game for the good game based on all the things i just spelled out jets are rolling they're d'ing up but you never know right i mean like sometimes these are the sorts of games where you're like one team is rolling the other team is kind of trying to find its way and the team that's rolling is at home and everything's coming up roses for them and they're ding up like crazy and they've gone 25 games in a row not allowing more than three which is crazy the last time they allowed more than three vegas scored five on them on november 2nd that's how long ago it was but that's why they play the games and we'll see what the lightning can can do as far as competing against winnipeg and and defending at winnipeg's level and generating chances on this team that that has done a terrific job yeah. of keeping the puck out of their own net. Well, 
And, and they've got two games in hand on Colorado, and they're only one point behind them in first place. Yeah, one point separates the top three teams in the Central. Colorado is in first, but they've played more games than Winnipeg and Dallas. That's a really strong top of that Central division. Before we get to some questions here, this is a big month for the Lightning. Obvious reasons, partner, but I, I do think it's going to sway one way or the other what Julian Breezewell wants to do. I'm just, you know, it's January 2nd right now. I, I think if the Lightning can turn it on, he may do something. If the Lightning are out of a playoff spot, he may do something. <laughs> and some mm -hmm. of it might be how far ahead, how far behind, but I think this is going to be a, a pretty telling month for the Lightning and where they want to be in the Eastern Conference. So keep that all in mind. Thomas says, guys, Happy New Year. So seriously, how long is a goalie able to hold a puck before it's considered frozen? Also, linesman had his hands to his lips. I thought if the ref even thought about blowing the whistle, it was blown, i.e. point disallowed goal in a playoff loss. Yeah, so I know Coop referenced that. He's like, we should have had Kelly as the referee in game three of the playoffs last year because the Lightning were up 3-2 on Toronto, point scored, but but it was a goal mouth scramble and the official intended to blow the whistle. Well, in this instance, Sutherland did not intend to blow the whistle. He was ready to blow the whistle, but he didn't. He chose not to. It wasn't that something happened before he had a chance to blow the whistle. That's the difference. And the other difference, of course, is nobody was around Montembeau. In that playoff game, there were a lot of people around the Toronto net for the Lightning. So I think that it's not quite an apples-to-apples apples comparison. By the way, I, I want to mention Glenn Denning has been, has been absent from a number of morning skates but, but been playing games. He is not out on the ice for this morning skate, but I think he's going to play. So that's how they, they ran the lines where Sherry was, was filling Glenn Denning's spot on the line that Glenn Denning is normally on with Watson and Janot. But I would expect... Glenn Denning is going to play, and the Lightning are going to move Sherry. Maybe he's going to be on that line. Maybe he isn't. Thomas's question about how long will the official wait. The official will, will not blow the whistle if there is no attacking player close to the goalie. And if the goalie refuses to play the puck, this is very rare, they could call the goalie for delay of game. But it usually doesn't reach that point. The referee starts yelling, like, play it, play it, play it, right? Or we see an attacking player come close and they do blow the whistle. That is correct. That's how I would answer that question, Thomas. Basil says, I was at the game New Year's Eve. The crowd was electric booing the refs. But to be honest, I think the call also gave fans a little bit of a license to boo the effort they were seeing on the ice. wonder if anyone else in the crowd agrees with that. I actually said that to um, Retcher, Jay Retcher. I asked um, Phil on the air. I thought there was booing. It was very loud. But I also think it was just kind of frustration. Yeah, I think I asked Phil, are they booing the official or booing the Lightning? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're because the Lightning there. didn't react to the non-whistle, yeah. but I think they were booing the official. Baz also says, I don't agree that the Bolts bear most of the responsibility for that goal. The refs must do a better job of communicating. He fooled not only the Bolts, but both of his linesmen. The fact that he created confusion, that in and of itself is bad refing. And that's why I think, Basil, there'll be some sort of directive. They'll learn from this. It was a weird situation. That's why everyone that we talked to said, I've never seen this before. Yep. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who just started watching hockey a month ago. <laughs> we're talking right. about Hall of Famers. Yeah. People have been around the game. I mean, Phyllis Mazzito has been around the game for seven decades. It's a long time. Yeah. Al says, I think this is an interesting question. 
I have a, I'm not going to hesitate with my answer. I'm curious what you think. Is it possible that because of his performance against Montreal, that JJ might get a few more games? Uh, I heard some activity. No. I heard some activity, so I didn't hear the end of the comment. Sorry, Greg. No, no. Do you, do you think JJ might get a few more games after his performance against Montreal? Go ahead. Or you want me to answer first? Well, I'm going to say no. Because John Cooper, I think he was speaking to the, the Canadian media before that game, saying that basically, look, he didn't have a training camp. He's just kind of rounding into shape. I mean, that's that's kind of the line Cooper gave. If you believe that, I, I think you have to let Vassy play this out. He's your best mm -hmm. goaltender. He, when he's healthy and, and things are clicking, he's the best goaltender in the game. I think you ride your horses. Now, does that mean John Cooper could strategically give Johansson – uh, a few more games here and there. That's up for him. This team is going to ride it with Vassy, in my opinion. And I don't know if giving Johansson more starts outside of an injury to Vassy makes the most sense. Yeah, the Lightning don't have a lot of back-to-backs left. I forget what the exact number is. Maybe five? So Johansson will get those games. That's not a lot of games as we approach the halfway point of the regular season. I guess I'm a little bit more open to the possibility that Johansson will get games outside of one of the games in a back-to-back -back set. But I think the Lightning standings position is going to have to change. I think they need points so badly right now, they're going to ride Vassie for all the reasons you just mentioned. And maybe if they go on a run, they get a little breathing room, we start to see Johansson more regularly in certain games. But look, he sat for over three weeks and, and came up with a splendid performance against Montreal. So... He showed that he can do it, right? <laughs> After playing virtually every game in the first 20, he had a bit of a layoff and, and didn't have, let's just say he played better against Montreal than he did against Nashville in the game in Nashville. Yeah. But in between the game against Nashville in Nashville and the game on Sunday, you know, clearly he got himself ready for his next start and delivered a great performance. I mean, I thought he was outstanding in that game against Montreal. And the Lightning needed him to be that good, particularly early in the game. And when it was 2-2, he made two of his biggest saves, the two-on-one, yeah. Stevens and well. Anderson. He's played well. It's just, it, Vass is your guy. I mean, this is yeah. one of those things where I just don't know if there's even, as much as I think people are putting two and two together and they're, they're trying to come up with four to sound reasonable, and I think it does make sense on the surface you don't bench Tom Brady. And I'm not saying bench. You don't take starts away from him. Guy has a up and down year. The track record is such that he's going to figure it out. And if he doesn't, that's kind of how it plays out. <laughs> I mean, I, to me, mm -hmm. he's your guy. And I think you're going to do everything you can to get him back to where he was. And if that means he's got to play... Uh, during some rough patches, then the Lightning need to figure out how to win those games with him maybe not at his elite self. I and, you know, the schedule, is. like you brought up January, the schedule in January is not an intense one. I mean, the Lightning only have one other trip after they finish this one. They're going to be at home a while. They have the bye week that starts at the end of January leading to the All-Star break. And they have another break during a four-game homestand that's going to begin when they come back from this trip, where I think they go from a Saturday home game, that's the game against Anaheim, Kalorn's return, and then they don't play again until Thursday. So they're going to get some, some days here where 
they have a stretch between games and other teams are going to catch up on, on these games in hand that they have on the Lightning. But I think it sets up that Vasilevsky is going to play regularly, let's say. Now, the next back-to-back -back the Lightning have is on the road trip after this road trip where they play Saturday afternoon in Buffalo and then Sunday kind of early evening in Detroit. Right. And usually Vasi gets the first game. If the standings look like they do now, Detroit will be higher in the standings, both divisional games. Detroit will be higher in the standings than Buffalo. And maybe you'd say, well, Vasi, we want you to play against the team that's, that's higher in the standings, Detroit, even though he normally plays the first game. We'll see. But that's a conversation for way down the road. Lightning have a number of games between now and then. We are going to get some more of your questions tomorrow. Yeah, there we had a lot to cover tonight. on the show. Yeah, so. that, usually happens. that usually happens on a back-to-back uh, -back scenario, and uh, especially that it happened over the weekend. But, partner, we've got the game tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern. So we've got a, a 7.30 pregame. I will speak to you then, and then in this setting, noon to 1 tomorrow. Get a Talk to you tonight. Talk to you tomorrow. You Love it. Dave Mishkin there. Thanks, to Steve Versick. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.